Bokertov, we are now on the final shear of the third parak, beginning at the Mishnah in the middle of Daf Haftalat Amud Aleph. We have a series of Mishnayot that deal with different things related to uh, really Tefillah B'Tzibur. And the first one is sort of the rights, as it were, of the Mafter. So the one who uh, has the Haftarah is also the one who uh, who leads Shachrit and um, and uh, also is the one who uh, evidently leads or is one of the Kohanim, if he's a Kohen, to do Berchat Kohanim. I mean, Mafter can be a Katan. So then all of those honors are given to either his father or his teacher. We'll see what the reason for this is. Now, we're talking about the abilities of a katan. A katan koreva Torah with targem. A katan can read Torah. You can also do the targum. But he can't serve as a shleach tzibur. If he's a kohen, he doesn't, cannot do berchad kohenim. Pocheach. A pocheach is somebody who's dressed a little inappropriately. Perhaps wearing shorts, something of that sort. Poreset shmoon with targem. He can be in the Shliach Tzibur for Yotzer. He can also do the Targum. But he cannot do Kriyat HaTorah, nor can he be the Shliach Tzibur for Shimon Kapab, Nor can he do Berchad Koni. The third and final person we're going to deal with is a Suma. A blind person can say Yotzer, or even though he himself is not getting any benefit from the light. Rabbi Yudah says if a person never had sight, then he cannot be, say, say Yotzer Moral wrote, and therefore he cannot be the Shtiach Tzibur for Yotzer. Good. So now what's the reason for all of this? My time, it's part of the Kavod. Somebody got the Torah, so we give him the other Kibudin. There's the concern that people are going to fight over the different uh, opportunities uh, and therefore, we have a just simple rule. Whoever gets mafter gets these other things. Now, my benai, what's the difference between the two reasons? A place where they don't get paid for doing these these jobs. Right? So in a place where they don't get paid, so the issue of kavod still applies, but the atid and suye, people are not going to fight over it unless they have some personal benefit of that sort. Now, Now, we said in the Mishnah that if the maftir uh, was a katan, then his father or his Rebbe gets this honor in his place. And you got to wonder what kind of kavod or atilin suyi is there here. Sorry. What is a katan going to start fighting with other people over the job? The katan also is not somebody who's in the category of kavod. There is kavod, the kavod of his father or his teacher. The same or the other reason would apply too. So as we try to shoot down one of the or the other of the reasons, based on the fact that if the if the minor is the one who gets the Aftar, then his father is Rebbe gets the other uh, the other positions. Uh, but the truth is that both Kavod and Atzinsui equally apply if they apply at all would equally apply also to a father or teacher. The Mishnah said that somebody who's dressed in a probably. So we said a katan can lame. We said a pocheach cannot lame. What about a katan who is a pocheach? Do we say, well, since a katan, we're not so concerned that he's dressed inappropriately. 
So if you're going to ask that, so ask already if a katan who doesn't have any clothes at all. A room my time alone. Why can't a person who's naked read from the Torah? Mishum kovat sibor. It's a lack of kovat sibor. This is not uh, the the room suggested here is not um, um, is is because what we're talking about is that a katan who is totally a room. There's no issue of ervat davar. But nonetheless, lack of kovat sibor. Hachanami mishum kovat sibor. The same thing here. Even if it's a bocheach, there's a lack of kovat sibor. Good. Suma poreset shema. Tanya mula Rabbi Yehuda. So this now has the dialogue between the chacham and Rabbi Yehuda about somebody who never had light. Harbe tzafuli drosh from Rakavu lo ra'u al tamiyameham. A lot of people studied mysticism and uh, the merkava v'chezkel. They never saw it. Which means you could say a bracha to Hashem over something you never saw. You were aware that there's such a thing out there as light. So Rabbi Yehuda says, "Hatam avante the liba talyamilta." That is really something about the heart, not about experience. Vaha kamechavin viyadas. You think about it, you understand it. Hacha mishum hanahu. Here you sing a bracha. You're thanking God for something that you get benefit from. But lately I know this is a guy who's never gotten such benefit. Rabbanon eat lehanah. Rabbanon say he does get a benefit. Why? Rabbi Yosi, like the famous story of Rabbi Yosi, the Tanya. I was always bothered by this pasuk in the Tochacha. You will be so distraught that you are going to be walking around in the middle of the day like a blind person in darkness. What's the point of saying a blind man in darkness? A blind man walking around in the light is also in the dark. So And I didn't understand until I had something actually happen to me. I was walking around the middle of the night. I saw a blind man walking with a torch. Why do you have a torch? So as long as I have a torch, other people see me and they come and they save me from whatever might be in my way. So in other words, in the same way, a person who's never seen light gets tremendous benefit from light because all the other people who are out there who use the light can help him out. Good. The next Mishnah deals also with people of questionable uh, um, status as far as being Shlichet Sibor. Just one prefatory note is that Birchat uh, Kohanim, everybody is familiar with the notion that the Sibor should not look at the hands of the Kohanim, or should not look at the Kohanim during Birchat Kohanim. However, a careful look in the Sugi and Masachar Chagiga in the second parak, which we're going to get to in uh, a couple of months, uh, shows that the pro- problem is only in the Mikdash. There is no such problem outside of the Mikdash. However, Tosaf points out there that there is a problem of looking at the Kohanim during Birchat Kohanim outside of the Mikdash, but not because of some uh, chutzpah of looking at them with the Shechina, but rather because you get distracted. So the issue of distraction is a problem, and that's why we all look down or cover our eyes, or whatever, or cover with the talus, when the kohanim are doing berchat kohanim. So now, kohen adav mumin, a kohen who has blemishes on his hands, lo yisad kapav, shouldn't do berchat kohanim, because of course people are going to notice it, and they're going to be distracted by it. If somebody had blue dye on his hands from his work, lo yisad kapav, again, because people are going to look at it. Now, Tana, we said, mumin shamru, where are these blemishes? Because after all, the Kohanim take their shoes off for Birchat Kohanim. People see their hands, people see their face, and people see their feet. So if they have blemishes in any of those places, they shouldn't do Birchat Kohanim. 
If his hands have also the white scabs on them, it's not like eczema, I think. Again, people are going to be distracted. Which means if his hands are gnarled or bent, same problem. Now we're going to move for a minute away from physical deformities to speech deformities. People from Haifa, from people from Beitshan, Loi Sad Kapav. Why is that? We'll see in a Taniachi. Ain't more din the Fayateva, Loanche Beitshan, Loanche Bechefa, Loanche Tivonim. So people from these different parts of the north, Beitshan, in the Jordan Valley, and Haifa, and Tivon, which are, of course, on near the coast, um, should not be Shlech. Tzibur, Wad Nesha Korin, Alfin Ainin, Ola Ainin Alfin, because they confuse their Aleph and their Ayin. By the way, as we're going to see a little later on, in the Galil, they also confused the hay with a chet, and they uh, crossed them over. And therefore, they should not be shlichet tzibur. Now, of course, this becomes a very big problem if you're in the shul in Beit Shan. So, Rabbi Chia, the prized student of Rebbe, told Rebbe's son, if you were a Levi, you have such a deep voice, if you were a Levi, you would uh, be puzzled from the shira. Mishum da'avi kalach, because you have a very deep voice. Now, Ata Marle Lavua, so he told his father, he told the Rabbi, Amarle Zila Imale said, Don't go to Rabbi Chia. The Pasuk in Shayal says, I will anticipate God. He says, because Rabbi Chia, being a Galilean, confused his chets and his hays, and it says, instead of, I anticipate God and I hit God. So he said, Don't be so quick to punch up my son for his deep voice, the way you pronounce words. Is really a travesty. Somebody who's always teary. Same problem. People are going to be distracted by it. There was a fellow in Ravuna's neighborhood who was as Valgan. He had this problem with his eyes tearing. And, uh, and he did Berchat Kornim. So the answer is, This is going to be a new category now, which is if somebody has a particular deformity or problem, but everybody in the town knows him and they're used to him, it's not a problem because again they won't they won't be distracted. So he, this is a fellow who already knew in town. So a bright that says exactly that. That's somebody who's blind in one eye. Again, that's distracting. Rabbi Yochanan was the author of the statement that a blind man in one eye should not do berchat konim, and there was a guy in his neighborhood who did berchat konim. Again, it was somebody who everybody in town knew. I have a similar sentiment in the context of the uh, discussion with Rabbi Yehuda. It's a bright to support Rabbi Yochanan. Now There's a similar notion that if most of the people in town work with this blue dye, so they all have blue dye in their hands, then it's not a problem because they're not going to be distracted by blue dye. That's what they would expect to see. But if this fellow himself works in such an environment wherein he's the only one who has it, so then it's really a problem. Good. The next Mishnah uh, deals with also people who are, uh, on the page, I refer to them as suspicious. People who say certain things or behave in certain ways or refuse certain things that indicate that they may have a strong influence of the, of the schismatics of uh, one of the sects that was uh, around at the end at the end of and after the second temple period. So Let's say a guy says, I'm not going to dump for the almond because I'm wearing colored clothes. 
We don't even let him dive in white clothes because the assumption is he's probably in a scene or some other sectarian who will not, by ideology and by uh, and by orientation, will not dive in for the Amud if he's not wearing white clothes. That is certainly not the way of Am Yisrael. And therefore, he must be an outsider. The sandal in the over If a guy says, I'm not going to go because I'm only wearing sandals. Again, we don't let him we don't let him be our Shliach in any case. Now, let's say a guy rounds rounds out his tefillin. You lose everything. It's a sakana because if it's in a time like in the Hadrianic persecutions where Jews were not allowed to wear tefillin, the guy's still going to get nailed for wearing tefillin even if they're round. But there is no mitzvah involved. This is evidently something that some sects would do. The Tanal Mitzchov, you put it on his forehead, meaning not up, but right between his eyes. Oh, Apasya Doi, put it on his, uh, not on his arm, but on his, on his hand. Harezu Derachaminut. That's the way of, uh, some sectarians, or the new Christians, whoever they may be. Sipan Zahav and a Tanal Beit Unkolishilo. Let's say he plated the tefillin with gold, or he put the tefillin on top of his sleeve instead of underneath. Harezu Derachitsonim. That's some sort of outside custom. These are all things to take a look for, look at. Now, this, by the way, a very interesting sociological note that during the times of the Mishnah, uh, after the, uh, the destruction of Beitar and during those next hundred years or so, there were there were se- severe problems with all sorts of sectarians trying to infiltrate the synagogue, and these are some of the markers Chazal gave. If you see somebody who does this or says this or refuses that way, you should know that's somebody who's suspicious. So now the Gemara immediately says, "My time." Huh? If a guy says, I won't daven without, if I'm not wearing white clothes, won't daven for the Amud, then we were concerned that he has some sort of a false belief that he's entered him. So the statement about the round tefillin being a, uh, not fulfilling the mitzvah seems to support the idea that tefillin have to be perfectly cubed. So no, the Amarava Allah Sonan. So Amar Papa Papa says, no, you can't prove it from the Mishnah. The Mishnah might be talking about where he made the tefillin really round like a ball. He didn't just round off the corners. He really made it round like a ball, Amguza. In that case, it's certainly not a mitzvah, but that doesn't prove that they have to be perfectly cubed, because we could debate that. Good. We have one other Mishnah that goes in the same direction. Um, and um, and it's as follows. Ha'omer yivarchu chatovim. Somebody says those who are good will bless you. Harezu derachaminut, because this is uh, dualism. All right. And alkansipor yagirachamecha. Somebody says the shliach tzibur. These, by the way, are all shlichet tzibur getting up and saying these things as part of their extemporaneous tefillah. Says God, you had compassion on a nest when you said you have to send them other way and take the, take the chicks. So have compassion on us. Or your name should be remembered for all the good you do. Or modim modim. Or if he says modim twice, we shut kinoto. Then we shut him up because he's saying things that are um, clearly some form of uh, of an invalid approach to uh, to theology. If somebody says that some of the prohibitions of areot, of sexual liaisons, are really metaphoric, we silence him. What's an example? The Torah's prohibition of um, of putting your child in front of Molech. So he said, he translates it, meaning you should not impregnate a non-Jewish woman who then is going to give birth to a child who's going to do a Zara. This one we silence with real uh, 
strong words of rebuke. So now let's look at over, over all of these different statements and what's wrong with them. I understand if a guy says modim twice, it's a dualism. It sounds like he's saying modim to the God of night and the God of day. To say that God should be remembered only for the good. That we only thank God for the good. Again, an issue of dualism. The famous Bishnah Brachot, that you have to thank God for things that are not so good. Like uh, you have to say Brachot when somebody dies. What's the problem with saying you had compassion for an ass to have compassion on us? It's a machloket of Amoraim and Eretz Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi and Rabbi Yossi Bar Zvida. So two Rabbi Yossis. We don't know which one said what. One of them said because it's like creating jealousy among the other creatures. You're mentioning that God had compassion for a nest. Why didn't God have compassion for animals and prohibit shechita? And why didn't God have compassion and say you can't shecht all of the babies of uh, one mother or whatever? Why dafka the uh, the nest? This is an opposition to the area of study known as Tamiya Mitzvot. said, because you're turning God's mitzvot into something that you understand, and you're saying it's about compassion, as opposed to saying it's a divine decree, and that's it. Now, we have a story of a fellow who was a shliach tzibor. Remember, shliach tzibor in the times of the Mishnah, in the times of the Gomorrah, didn't have a sitter to work with. They were known for their ability to wax poetic. So there was a shliach tzibor who went in front of Rabbah, Amar, and he said, You had compassion for a nest, have compassion on us. And uh, Amar Rabbah said, Ooh, look how well this guy knows how to appease his master, appease God. Amar Rabbah, so his student Abai said to him, The Mishnah says, When somebody says that, we silence him. The answer is, yeah. That's right. Rabbah was not unhappy, was not happy with this fellow. He said it to test Abayi to see if Abayi was being sharp. Now we have somebody who was at Shleyach in front of Rabbi Hanina. The familiar formula that we have. And then he continued to describe God in all sorts of other terms. Strong, etc. So Rabbi Hanina turned to him and said, after he was done, have you now completed the panoply of praise for God? Uh, and, and even these three, if it weren't for the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote them in the Torah, a famous sugi in Yoma, where uh, Yirmiyahu came along and left one out, Daniel came along and left another one out, and then Nechemi came and restored all of them. So if it weren't for the fact that Moshe said it, in Parshat Vet Hanan, and that Nechemi said it, I don't know, we wouldn't say that either. And you're giving all these praises of God? It's like a guy who is a multi-billionaire. And they say, ooh, look at that very nice uh, silver that you have. A guy has billions in gold, and they praise him for something relatively small. It's kind of degrading. So to praise God for all of the things that you're able to perceive is really degrading to God, considering that God is so much greater than that in ways you can't perceive. So Rechanina has a statement that is going to dovetail with this. Everything is in God's hands except how much you fear God. What's the Pasuk? What does God ask of you besides Yira, besides fearing God? Because everything else is set. 
But that makes it sound, the tone of the verse says, that Yerat Shemayim is no big deal. What does God ask of you? Just Yerat Shemayim. So the answer is, in the Gabi Moshe Rabbeinu, Miltus Utratihi. You're right. In the context of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's really a small thing. Right? Because for Moshe Rabbeinu, Yerat Shemayim is not that big. And Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking there in, in uh, Parshat Ekev. So now you see why this is brought in, in connection with the previous statement. It's like a person who, who you, you ask for him a great thing, and he has it. It's like a little thing for him. You come and ask a fellow to borrow his car, and he has a car, no big deal. But if you come and ask him for a simple, small thing, a screwdriver, but he doesn't have it, it seems like a very large thing. In other words, to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not a big thing, so that's how he represents it. Good. We said that if somebody says modim modim, you silence him. So if you have a shliach tzibur who says shma Yisrael twice, you silence him. So we have a statement that says if you read shma and you repeat it, it's degrading. It's not nice. But it's only not nice. We don't silence him. We don't kick him out. So the answer is no kasha. That's if he says Shema, Shema, Israel, Israel. It says each word over. Here he's just trying to get himself focused. It's degrading. He should get himself focused better. But if he says the entire pasuk and repeats it, then it really is like modim modim, and we throw him out on his ear. Good. So Papa says to Rav, what's the problem? He said the Pasuk. And why is it degrading? After all, maybe he didn't have Kavanah. Now he's trying to have Kavanah. What he's so at ease with God. If he didn't have Kavanah, you hit him with an iron rod. Until he has Kavanah. You don't just come into Al-Kadosh Baruch and say, Shema Yisrael, oh, I didn't have Kavanah, I'll say it again. Now, the end of the Mishnah said, Machaneba Arayot Meshatkinoto. Tanav Yosef, what is it? Kalon Aviva Kalonimo. What is Machaneba Arayot? It means that if somebody says, when it says you should not see Ervat Aviva, it means something degrading about your father. Not the actual sexual, uh, you know, your father's wife, etc. What do they say? What is that last line? The prohibition of Molech, how would they interpret it metaphorically? People would say, ah, that's referring to somebody who has relations with a uh, non-Jewish woman and she has a kid and the kid goes and worships Molech, so that's your how you're giving a kid to Molech. Now that is interpreting it metaphorically. And that's somebody we silence because we have to read these things literally. Good. The last mission in the Perek lists different passages in Tanakh that for reasons of either vulgarity or offense or protection of somebody's reputation, we either don't read or we read, but we don't translate you know, to the Targum. And we'll see in the Gemara an expansion on this. Masay Ruvain, the story of Ruvain, uh, having relations, as the simple read of the text has it, uh, with his father's wife, with Bilah. You read it, but you don't do the Targum. Masay Tamar, that's the story of Tamar and Yehuda. It's a little degrading, she dressed up like a harlot. That you read and you translate. Masay Egel HaRishon The first part of the story of the Egel, which we're going to be reading next week, uh, is read and translated. Hasheni, we'll see where the division is. The second half of the story, that's read but not translated. Masay David Ramnon, the story in 
Shmuel Bet Perakud Gimel of David, and I'm known, and I'm known raping uh, Tamar, etc. Nikrain Velomatargamin. We don't translate them. And that's if you're reading that as some sort of a haftarah, you wouldn't translate it. We also don't use the Merkava, the first chapter of Yechezkel, as a Haftarah. Indeed, our minig is, and we're going to see this in a few days, our minig is to, um, to do it for the first day of Shavuot. Rabbi Yehuda Matir, Rabbi says, He says, you don't read the 16th chapter of Yechezkel, which describes all of the abominations of Yishalayim. We don't read that as a Haftarah. Good, okay. Now let's take a look at the Gemara. Tanu Rabbanan. Yeshni Krin Metargamin. Yeshni Krin Velomatargamin. Yeshni Krin Velomatargamin. There's passages that we read and translate. Passages we read but don't translate. Passages we don't read at all. Let's see if there's any of those. Eleni Krin Metargamin. The following are read and translated, even though we would have a reason in each case to think that they might not be. Maseh Breshit. The beginning of Breshit. Nikra Metargamin. So Pshita, obviously it's read and translated. Maybe a person will become so intrigued they're going to start investigating areas they should not investigate, as we will see in the beginning of the second paragraph of Chagiga. All right. So therefore, Kamash Kolan therefore teaches you: No, you do translate Masabreshit. Masay Lot Otav. Lot and his and his daughters in the cave when his daughters have relations with him, and that's where Amun Moav comes. Nikra'u Targem is read and translated. Pshita, that's obvious. Might be a violation of Avram's. Dignity. So therefore, Kamash Plan that we do read it. We do read the story of Tamar and Yehuda. Might be a violation of the dignity of Yehuda to hear how he went to visit a harlot and then he almost had her killed, etc. Kamash Plan. It's actually praise for Yehuda because he said Sadkavimani and he, and he owned up to what he did. Alright, so the Brighta said, that you read the first half of the story of the Egel and translate it, Pshita. Here it's very obvious. We might be concerned about a violation of the dignity of Am Yisrael if we read it out loud. By publicizing it, creates more shame and embarrassment, which creates more atonement. Now, That's the Tochacha in, 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 in the Vayikra and the end of Dvarim. Are read and translated. We might be afraid that people will listen to the Kriya and they'll understand it, and they're going to become very, very upset by it. And people might really have a violent reaction to hearing these terrible curses. Kamash that we do translate it because people have to know what it means. They uh, tell the story. I think it was about one of the first Lubavitcher rabbis who uh, one time was in shul and he heard the Tochacha being read at the Anasevet Varm and he started weeping. I said, what's wrong? You know this part. She says, no, because every time I heard my father read it, it's the first time I ever heard it, and somebody else read it. Every time I heard my father read it, everything sounded like a bracha. Good? Um, good. Now, azharot v'onshin nikrina v'targamin. So these are the warnings and, and punishments for arayot. The concern might be that people will now start following and committing to the Torah just because they're afraid of the punishment as opposed to out of the love for God. So Kamash Malan, that, that's, that's appropriate. We read, do read the story, unlike the Mishnah of Amnon and Tamar. Also the story of Avshalom and his rebellion. So This might be a violation of the dignity of David. So Kamash Malan, we tell it anyways. 
And by the way, you've noticed that so far, everything that we've talked about has been things that we do read and publicize, we translate. The story of the last three chapters of the book of Shoftim, which is a very, very gory and painful uh, episode. So it's read, I might think that you have to be concerned about the dignity of Sherid bin Yamin, which, which comes out very, very badly in the entire story. Kamash Malan, that we do it anyways. Now, Hodad Yishalayim at Tavotah, that Parsha that Rabbi Eliezer said we don't do Haftorah in the Mishnah, we read it, we publicize it. Pshita, Lafukin Rabbi Lazar, it's there to go against Rabbi Lazar's opinion, says we do read it. So there was a fellow who got the, who had the maftir, and he chose to read from that section, and he was in the presence of Rabbi Yezer, evidently in Lod. So he said, you're so quick to publicize the abomination of Shalayim, let's see what your family's like. Let's see what your mother, what, your mother, what kind of abominations your mother was involved with. They checked and they found that he was a mamzer or in some other way the product of a uh, less than ideal union. So that was all a list of things which, in spite of arguments why they should not be publicized, are read and publicized. The following are things that are read but not translated. The story of Ruvain, as we saw in the Mishnah, is read but not translated. He went to the town of Kavul. And so the Valkyria read and take a look at the Pasuk number six. And the first half of that tells the story of Ruvain going to Bilhah. And the end of the Pasuk says, and there were 12 children of Yaakov. And Ruvain then said, stop, don't translate except the end. And the Chachamim and the Chachamim praised the fact that he only allowed the end to be translated. Good, so that supports the idea that the story of Ruvain should not be translated. Which part of the Egel story is the first part, the second part? So in other words, the first part is the actual story of the Egel, and the second part is where Moshe comes down as the conversation with Aaron about what happened. A person should be very quick in his answers. A person should be very, very careful how he answers. Because Aaron, what was the answer Aaron gave? I threw it in the fire and out came an Egel. Instead of saying, I formed an Egel. And that was his quick answer. He didn't think about it. As a result of that, all such people came and said, and they've said, ah, you see that there really is something to it because it magically appeared. We do not translate my It says Hashem will favor you. Something that's a little bit not nice that uh, Hashem favors one over another. The story of David and Amnon is not read or translated. You just thought through saying that the story of Amnon and Tamar is read in spite of the possible violation of the, 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 the dignity of David. So the answer is, in a pasuk that just says Amnon, we translate it, we read it. When it says Amnon ben David, then we don't read it or translate it at all. Now, the last passage we have in the parak deals with a phenomenon that we refer to perhaps as Tikkun Sofrim, which is when there are certain words in Tanakh that are very vulgar, very upsetting, 
And uh, what the Sofrim did is they substituted them with a milder version of the word, and that's the way that they're read out loud. Because uh, it's not nice to the That doesn't really mean in the classic sense of we turn it into something positive, but we just read it nicer. As an example, So in the Tocha, and I've got all these Psukim on the page, you take a look at the page, you'll see that the way that it's really written in the Torah is written in the, on the page without vowels. And next to it, also in bold, is the way that we read it out loud with vowels. So when we say a man will betroth a woman and another man will sleep with her, the word yishkalena is quite violent. Instead of read yishkavena, we'll lay with her. Ba'apolim, Hashem will hit you with evidently a plague. But we read ba'chorim, it's hemorrhoids, it's lighter. Cheryonim becomes divyonim. Lechol t'chorehem lishton and meimei ragashineyam becomes lechol t'suatam lishton and meimei ragleyam. That's what Rav Shakei is talking to the people. He says, I'm going to frighten them. So it's, it's very vulgar in any case, but we use a, a euphemism to describe body functions here. Lemochraot uh, becomes lemotsaot. Again, it's a description of a place where someone uses the bathroom, becomes a little nicer. Shuvan Korchomer lemochraot kishmat neshu gnaila vodazara. Rabbishuvan Levi says, Rabbishuvan Korchomer says, that lemochraot we read really the way it is, because it's a vulgar word, but it's describing what's going to happen to Avodazara, and that we're allowed to do. Nachman has an example called Itzanita Asir Abarman Sanuta Avodazara Desharia. We're not allowed to be silly and scorning and making fun of things except with Avodazara. That's Futter. And where's our clue? We have this Pasuk. Uh, we have this Pasuk in Yeshayahu that, um, that the, that it almost describes Baal as uh, bending over to go to the bathroom. Right? So in other words, you see it in the V, makes fun of it. Again, describing the gods this way. We see when Eliyahu and Har Carmel makes fun of the uh, prophets of the Baal, and as he says, yell louder, maybe he's asleep, maybe he's taking a walk. So don't read that his honor is left, but rather his kishkas have left. Again, describing God in a very funny way. They're gods in a funny way. A Jew is allowed to tell a pagan to take his avodah and stick it, uh, shall we say, where the sun don't shine. Right? Uh, in, in a vulgar way. I'm not going to say what it means. I think everybody understands. Somebody who has a, a bad reputation, right? With people, people know that he is an adulterer. Uh, you're allowed to um, to degrade him publicly, all right? With, by calling him a gimel shin, which means ben girata sarya. Right, uh, like he's a he's a son of a whore or somebody who whores around. A lot embarrassing that way. Haman the shapes shumane, somebody who has a good reputation. Shari the shabuche, it's good, it's it's permissible to praise him. Manashavche anuchol brachot aroshol, and somebody praises him will indeed get their own brachot. As you can see, this last sugya is a real potpourri of all sorts of things relating to essentially how we behave in public in in the Beit Knesset. Uh, with the uh, Kriyata Torah and with the Targum, which stories, which narratives are not retold or which are not translated. 
and going back to different characters who show up in Shul and say certain things, and that renders them unfit to be Shlich Tzibor. Certain things that a Shlich Tzibor says that, that we don't allow. And uh, rolling back to a uh, to the, the role of somebody who has some sort of deformity and the role of a uh, of a somebody who's not dressed appropriately and the role of a katan in shul. All of that we covered in the last 36 and a half minutes. Everybody should have a wonderful Shabbat and a very, very festive Purim. And we will meet again on Monday with the beginning of the fourth parak.